Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Friday Wrap. Um, mate, it's always good to be back on Friday. And I think, given this is the last Friday of the month, we usually like to do our study of the successful people. So today's series will all be about looking into the mindset of successful people. What are the commonalities? Um, and you know, last two months we did we did a few as well. So you know, we look forward to seeing. Who have we got this uh, this this month? Uh, and uh, look into their amazing mindset in terms of how we can help other investors grow. But before we jump in, our lovely co-hosts Jazz and John, how are we all doing? Happy Friday, boys! Once again, good to see you guys. Love you. We need to get our beer out again, mate. Seriously, I feel <laughs> like we should be talking about these things with beer in our hand. That's the Aussie way of doing it. John, how are you doing? I'm very well, and and obviously now it's awkward between us and Jazz. Uh, he dropped the L bomb, and and if anyone's seen the movie Wayne's World, you need to not say "I love you" back. You just say "Thank you," thanks, thanks, Jazz. <laughs> no, everything everything's good. Good, good to be here. I, you know, always look forward to our Friday chats. John, you're just not used to it. You know, I'm, I've been budding with him for too long. I don't actually get I don't actually get upset or anything like that now. <laughs> that's just how that's just how he is. It's bromance. <laughs> We've had it for too long. Anyway, <laughs> so um, the study, the, the key person that we're studying today um, is uh, who else better than Ray Dalio, um, the, <laughs> the, uh, the well-known fund manager for Bridgewater Associates, right? So I think he controls one of the biggest hedge funds in US. Um, What's the total investment that's under that, um, that Bridgewater Associates? Do we all know? I know I, I'm not sure, but I know he's the 30th richest American, um, and okay. and the biggest hedge fund manager. Yep. There you go. Just on that basis, definitely worth noting in terms of um, you know how how his amazing mindset works. All right. So um, we've we've looked into we look into uh, essentially uh, the the key learnings that he's had, and um, we summarize it into about six points in general, which is essentially where we're going to jump into and dive into. Um, all right. So boys, let's let's get ready. So first point. Uh, which is an interesting one as well. Uh, first point, he talks about practical uh, practice radical truth and transparency. Okay, so I think for this one, I mean, you know, like he gave a lot of economic context for this. And, and me being not the not the economist head in this room, of course, the way I interpret it is a, in a very blunt way is um, you need to look at you need to see things the way it is without any kind of disguise or um, you know or, or perception essentially. So. You know, a lot of times we try to deny things or, or we try to look at it with a, with a lens, with a color lens uh, to a certain degree because we can't accept the truth as it is. But what Ray Dalio is saying here is if you cannot see things as how they are and what they are, then essentially you, you will never be successful uh, in, in that instance because, you know, that's one thing. And I think he actually gave an example about, uh, you know, like just in terms of people dealings, we know most people, most of the time, we don't actually give negative feedback to people like, you know, John, for example, you know, you're rude or that kind of things. People don't say that kind of things. But sometimes, you know, if you're able to give that kind of feedback to people, not to say, John, you're not rude at all. Okay, I'm just giving you an example. So no offense taken. Um, essentially, that, that's how you can learn because that's, that's the way you are. And then you take that feedback on, you say, how can I further improve myself? And that kind of honesty feedback is actually reality how we can see things as they are and how we can actually make a better person. That's the way how I look at it as a radical truth and transparency. Now, 
I don't know how the, uh, I don't know what your perspectives are, um, but essentially I guess I'll start with John. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so I, I, this is a big part of Ray Dalio's brand, uh, this this concept of radical truth, and it's that sort of thought, uh, concept where you, you sit around the um, the board table and you you speak really candidly with each other until you figure out what what's true and what's not true, and um, and the idea is that you, you can't make good decisions and good guesses about the future until you can all agree on whatever is actually happening. Um, and and then you can and be transparent with each other. So I like that. I'm actually I actually really like the expression radical truth. Truth shouldn't be radical, should it? It should be, in some cases, the truth should be obvious. But in this case, I like how he talks about radical truth um, uh, being what you should seek out. Um, because sometimes the truth is uncomfortable, and sometimes we want to see what we want to see. The, 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 I think as investors. I think radical truth is quite an interesting concept and um, bringing it into something that, you know, into investing. I know that, you know, I'm the gold guy on the podcast and I know Jazz is the Bitcoin guy. And I know that there are real blind spots, particularly with these two communities, the, the precious metals community. We see what we want to see and we believe what we want to see and we can be quite evangelical. Uh, the Bitcoin guys are the same. So I think it's important that when you're making assessments about technologies and investments, that you put aside, I guess, your preferences and what you would like to be true and you focus on what is the case. And in the case of gold, let's say, it's not always the best investment. It's sometimes the best investment. And so um, th- those, those sorts of things are interesting and you need people around you to tell you when you're wrong. And we'll come to that in a moment. Mm-hmm. Jazz. I think um, you nailed it, John and David, on that one. Um, I think all it's talking about from, from my perspective is that always seek truth, no matter what. Um, and a lot of the times it can be hard to digest uh, the the truth itself, uh, especially when you're investing and you've got a bias towards certain kind of investor, investment, like what John mentioned before, that he may be more biased towards precious metal, whereas uh, David could be more biased towards uh, uh, tech stocks. Same goes for me, maybe more towards property or crypto. Uh, it's it's always good to challenge it and, and seek the truth by challenging some of this stuff uh, to be able to get a best return in the market. And Ray Dalio himself runs a hedge fund. David, you asked the question uh, what the amount is. I think assets under management are roughly about 140 billion by end of uh, this, this figure is towards the end of March, 2021. Uh, so when you're running that big of a company or that size of fund with assets under management, I think it's fair to say that there's no point of being uh, uh, a sweet sugar. It's 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 more uh, being blunt and being transparent. Uh, may offend uh, people in your organization, but if you have hired the people with the right uh, mindset, then I think they will in general understand that and and try and seek the right strategy from there based on the discussion, I guess. And that's a really good point, Jazz. I think, you know, talking about hiring the right people, even though it wasn't one of the things that we will talk about today, he did mention that, you know, to be a successful, to run a successful business, people in the culture are the key things here, essentially, right? So if you hire the right people, yes, you know, it might be a, it might be a difficult to swallow truth, but at the end of the day, 
that radical truth is what's going to underpin the performance of the company and uh, be able to take it to the next level. So mm-hmm. um, totally. Yeah, I, I, I think... Sorry. I'll go for it, Jazz. Yeah. I was going to say just very quickly, part of the truth is knowing when you're wrong. Hang on. Um, and uh, learn learn to let it go. When, when you know you're wrong, and yeah. if it's your ego that's stopping you from letting it go, and uh, you just want to make your point that you're right, basically, you know that you're going to end up losing, right? Internally, you do know that. Uh, it's more learn to let it go when you know that you are wrong you're seeking the truth right uh one thing i was going to say is that in terms of transparency i think in one of his interviews he did mention about how every uh any any meeting that happens within the bridgewater organization their conversations are actually recorded for transparency purposes and the reason of the recording is not to pinpoint fingers at anyone it's more that the culture is so transparent that anyone who wants to go back and listen to those audios uh to get a better understanding of whatever the discussion is around, it, it helps facilitate that to some extent. So that level of transparency is what he seeks, uh, which makes perfect sense if you want to run a fund of that size, I think. Or even a small it's company. It's amazing, I have to say. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. All right, good. Uh, and I think, you know, you guys uh, created a fantastic segue to, I guess, the next discussion point, which is actually learning about disagreements. Uh, in, in, in that regards, right? Because, like Jazz, what you were mentioned before, uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of times we all we all know that inherently, yes, our our views may not be correct, uh, but then again, we don't want to admit defeat uh, to to a certain degree. Um, and look, you know, like I think we all, we all come from different, we all got raised in different cultures, different type of backgrounds. And so it's, so it's quite normal for us to all have different perspectives and views. And the way that he talks about learning from disagreements uh, is, is the fact that, you know, we all know that there's, there's points that we need to agree to disagree. Yes, absolutely. Um, but having different perspectives doesn't mean that you're the, the only perspective that you share is, is the gospel or the truth. You know, we also need to learn about, how do we see other people? Um, how does other people's perspective play in the world uh, in, a, in a role uh, to a certain degree, right? So just as an example here, we've got Jazz, John, and me here. You know, we, we're all three different individuals and we all have very different views against different things. And a lot of times, you know, might not necessarily be on air, but off air, we would disagree on things. And But then, but then the key here is, we would explain and we would communicate to say, this is our view. This is why we think it's different. Okay. And that way, you know, we actually share our perspective. So other people can kind of see from that perspective and whether they then agree with that or not is a separate matter, but at least there will be something that everyone can take out of it. I think is the main, is the main thing here. So that's the way I look at it um, is you know, we learn from disagreements and, and, and when, if everyone all agrees on something, then there's really not much that, that we can learn from it. So I think the, here, the, the, the idea here is to actually promote disagreements to say, well, yes, I do not agree or respectively do not agree or disagree, but um, would like to know why. I would like to understand what's the rationale behind. Can I see your perspective in that instance? So that's my understanding of the point. Jazz, this time, let's start with you. 
So learning from disagreements, I think I, I think this podcast <laughs> with, with a lot of the stuff that we discussed is a perfect example. Um, and one of, the, one of them would be is what John again mentioned before, uh, where uh, I probably don't know as much about commodities as John does, and he may not know about some of the other stuff as much as I do, right? So, uh, and some of that is some of these things are competing things against each other, right? So, uh, gold and digital gold is the perfect example, probably for that. Right? We we have our disagreements, uh, but that doesn't mean we dis- disrespect each other. We just have a disagreement. Uh, from that disagreement, what comes is if you have got the right mindset, is a lot of learning. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a, a slightly more phil- philosophical approach about about learning from disagreements. So the father of free speech is a guy named John Milton. He said free speech is necessary for three reasons. Um, the first reason is you have to be open to the possibility that you're wrong. Uh, so as investors, that's important. So you, you might believe something strongly, but you might be wrong. Two, if you are right, um, talking to the other person and 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 being open to disagreements means that even if you're right, he still might have a point of view that you hadn't considered. So he might have, he might be partially right or, or, or so on. And the third reason why uh, free speech or in this context, disagreeing is important is because you'll figure out how to articulate your position. So it's, it's, it's no good believing in something if you can't explain why you believe it. So it'll disagreeing forces you to come up with a case for why you're right, and it forces you to say it out loud or write it down. And sometimes, as the as the old saying in journalism goes, "How do I know what I think until I write it down?" So it's really important that disagreeing forces you to construct uh, a rationale for what you believe. I think that that's really important, and you know, and to say it out loud and to defend it in front of other people who might not agree with you. So super important thing. It should be a constructive disagreement, if, if that makes sense. That um, if there's valid arguments to be made against it, Sorry. or your conclusions might be right, but the reasoning, the rationale might be wrong. So you might be right for the wrong reasons. Um, so I think all talking it through is, is so important, and 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 disagreeing, and then sharpening your sense of uh, sense of value and uh, and accuracy. Mm-hmm. Yep, excellent. Well summed up, John. I'm always amazed about how you can actually get them get them summed up so elegantly. <laughs> Which is why typically I don't I don't want you to speak first. <laughs> That's all good. Thanks, John. Um, all right. Um, next point, which is actually a common theme um, across across the uh, successful people, which is talking about fail, learn, and move forward. So I think. Um, this is yeah. This this has been repeated a number of times, uh, but essentially, you know, the 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 gist of it is uh, you look at you look at failing as a, a chance to learn, basically a chance to learn, a chance to improve yourself, and a chance to move forward to the next level. Um, and this is particularly true uh, when when it comes like you know, like I said before, I think our society actually demotes making mistakes we all we all grew up in the educational system where we want to score 100 or 100 and you know when you make a mistake it's kind of when your teacher started to to you know to, to give you the eyes or uh you know when you go home you you score really badly your parents would uh you know lock you up in the dark room or something as punishment that kind of mentality is very different uh and is completely opposite to how the successful people think because we should be treating every in each scenario of failures 
as an opportunity to learn and to further improve ourselves. We are not failing. Uh, sorry, I should, I should put it this way. Um, we don't fail until we give up, basically. So as long as you do not give up and on, as long as you continue to learn, um, it's not really a fail, uh, in my personal opinion. So, so he's done, he's actually, Ray's actually done a few points on this. Uh, they're pretty common thing, you know, and, and, um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much, uh, the gist of it. And, um, I'll pass the ball on to John to see what else he's got to add. Yeah, look, failure is a big theme uh, for all, all of these successful people and all of these uh, sort of lessons from the, the successful people that we we learn from. Um, but I'd say that the key word here is not failure because we all agree on that. It's the learning bit. Without the learning, it's just some dude doing dumb things. So you've, if you're not learning from it, you, you just a guy bumbling through life and you know going from one sort of uh, silly silly decision to the next so so you got to learn from it um uh you know there was a to, to use it like a, maybe a dumb analogy in an Australian context, but our sing, second longest serving prime minister was a guy named John Howard it's definitely not an endorsement, but he used to say that he um uh, he made every mistake but he only made the mistakes once. So it's a it's a good way it's a it's a good way to sort of figure out uh, what's right and wrong. It actually ties into the, the the radical truth though, because you might believe something, but the market is a very um, harsh mistress. So you might believe something, but the market's going to tell you if you're wrong, and if you don't learn the lessons from it, you're just a, a, an idiot bumbling through. You got to learn. Um, but the market will teach you and there's an easy way and a hard way for that to happen. Uh, so you've, you've just got to be open to listening to the market. One of the analogies uh, or the examples would be is a baby doesn't learn to walk in the first time, right? Now, if failure was to consider the way the word sounds, failure, then technically none of us should be walking. That's simple, right? But a baby doesn't give up because he doesn't, he or she doesn't even know what meaning of failure is. They just keep trying until they get it right. So failure should be, is something that should be taught in schools in the right way. That it's, how many people actually honestly know that full form of failure was first attempt in learning? Seriously, right? Yeah. Um, and of all the people that we have talked over this podcast, the uh, life lessons of some of these billionaires, famous people. Uh, one thing that is so far common among all of these is failure. That learn from your failures. You know, Rick Rule, the the great commodities investor um, from from Sprott Asset Management in the US, he says something along the lines of, "The worst thing that can happen to you is that you have success too early." Uh, because if you have success too early, you um, you start to believe you, you you're, you're so smart that uh, the reason that you made the right call was was only because of you. So some some well timed strategic failures <laughs> that you mm -hmm. learn from are always useful. So that because it, it's it's humbling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is this is really something that especially in the life of investing or if you're running a, a company. This is something that you're gonna face on a regular basis. So uh, just learn to learn from it, that's it. 
I think one of the things that uh, Ray mentioned about um, about about embracing failures is uh, is essentially you know you you don't we shouldn't be punishing people uh, in terms of the failures that they have, but instead what we should be doing is um, encouraging them to say, well, what would you do differently next time? That's that's all we need to know, basically, right? Um, as long as we get something out of it, um, then uh, that's that's what that's basically what it is. Because in life, no one is going to tell you. I mean, no one, no one is going to tell you whether you did the right thing or wrong. Just like exactly what John said, the market mistress is going to be is going to be actually the one that, that's going to tell you the harsh truth whether you actually made the right decision or not. And it's a constant repeat process of learning as well <laughs> unfortunately yeah. that's all that's all that's all we that's all we found out once we get into the society right you don't get scorecard anymore you get scorecard from the society and, and from the real world so yeah it's like no one's going to tell you that you can't sing but the market won't buy any records off you uh like <laughs> so it's it's a harsh it's a harsh mistress I'm glad I'm not selling records in that case <laughs> <laughs> all right. Good one. Um, uh, next, uh, this one talks about a bit about procrastination. Don't let fear stop you. Okay, don't let fear stop you. Um, again, I think I think this is one of the common themes that we spoke about uh, in our last few um, uh, study of billionaire episodes as well. Um, yeah. So so this so basically, it's it's all about uncertainty. It's all about fear there's, there's there's never a time where things are certain i should say in in, in life we always got to have to operate in, in in our certain world right like just look at where we are right now we've got the russia and ukraine situation we've got um using property as an example again because that's what i know most uh you know we've got talks about the interest rate going up the rba rising cash rate very very soon um and yeah, and it talks about regulators might be tightening again at some point in time again. So there's all these headwinds around things, right? So, um, you know, so I think when I speak to people, there is a lot of uncertainty around, oh, is it actually the best time now? And, you know, I'm hearing that the, you know, CBA forecast saying the market is going to crash next year for 10%, uh, you know, property price is going to drop 10%. So should I be waiting? Should I, should I just hold on and see? These are kind of things that's uncertainty and, 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 and to a degree fear because you don't know what's really going to happen. So you start to procrastinate. But by the time you actually see what happened, the ship has sailed to a level. So, you know, looking at an investment form, you know, what, what you can do in, in this is like Ray saying, don't let, the, don't let the fear stop you. Do your due diligence, do it as much as you can, and then minimize the amount of risk that you're taking. Uh, that's what the due diligence is all about. And then jump in. Do something is always better than don't do anything. Uh, and I think that's, that's certainly an important lesson that comes out from multiple, multiple billionaires that we've seen so far. Jazz. Uh, don't let the fear stop you. I think I think this goes. I think this is one of the most important for probably investors. A lot of the time, uh, it's the investors who actually uh, spend time too too much time probably procrastinating uh, rather than taking action, um, which is basically the fear of losing money or the fear of you know what if I quit my job, what is going to happen? Whether I'll succeed or fail. You know what? Uh, again, goes back to that failure thing that we were talking about, right? Fear is always going to be uh, there. Uh, learning to face the fear, looking at the 
looking in the eyes of the fear, um, I think is uh, the most important thing to me. So um, Elon Musk launching companies like SpaceX, SpaceX, Tesla, they think the man is not fearful. Of course he's fearful. He probably fears fear more than anyone else. It's just, how do you face the fear? How do you look into the eyes of the fear and say, you know what, not today, maybe tomorrow. I think fear is something that actually makes you stronger, to be honest. If you if you just know how to face the fear, it's get on with it. That's all. That emotion yeah. is what's driving you to a degree, basically. Yeah. It's 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 what is fear? It's it's an emotion, isn't it? It's a, it's a part of our brain stopping you from uh, jumping the cliff that you want to cliff, jump, right? Uh, purely because you don't know what's on the other side of the cliff. If there's nothing, you'll die. You know, it's possibility. Never say never, but uh, uh, conquer the fear. Once you conquer the fear, uh, the world will open up for you. I, I think this is this is the most important one, fear. This is where most people fail. Just a lot of people who want to quit their nine to five work uh, purely cannot act on that uh, for a simple reason. It's that they fear whether they'll be able to succeed or not. Do you want to be in your deathbed when that bed, when you're in your 80s or 90s or whenever that happens to be and think that I should have really tried that and you didn't because you were fearful or you know what, I did it, I failed, but at least I tried. So which one are you going to enjoy saying more in your 80s? I didn't try or I tried. Yeah, and bear in mind, of course, when we talk about fear, we're not talking about uh, rational fears like jumping out of a plane. These are these are entrepreneurial or investing fears. So, um, uh, so uh, which is also rational. But um, uh, look, I, I think I think this is a way of saying there are two ways to overcome this. Obviously, but we're, essentially, we're talking about. I think you need to be comfortable in making mistakes, which ties into, uh, ties into an earlier thing we said, you're going to make mistakes. That's okay. It's what we call living. Uh, so it's okay. Um, and so don't, don't, um, uh, don't be paralyzed with fear about making a mistake because you're going to, and that's okay. You just have to make sure you learn from them. But I think there are two ways to get around the fear factor of, of making mistakes. One is, uh, one is uh, focus on being competent. This is something that Charlie Munger talked a lot about in our episode a couple of weeks ago, uh, where he focused a lot on like be skilled, be skillful, be competent, be good at stuff. So the first way to get around fear of essentially fear of the unknown is to be competent. Um, the other, the other way is, and this sort of ties into uh, the, the fear that you were quoting, Dave, which was about um, you know, do I buy now? Or you know, there's always an uncertainty in the market, and you could let that paralyze you. Or you could push that out of your mind. So the way I would I would think about those sorts of things about you know buying and timing and all those sorts of things is don't necessarily um, don't think about what to buy. You think about what you want to own. Don't think about what to buy. Think about what you want to own. This is like what E. B. Tucker talks about. So he's saying just figure out what you want to own. Don't worry about like is now the right time to buy. That's that's how traders think. As investors, you want to think about what do I want to own? And I, I, I like that. And once you figure out what you want to own through a series of learnings and competence and mistakes, I think that you can o- overcome fear and that's just a, an emotional barrier, as Jazz said. Worry about the fear of fear, not the fear. <laughs> fear itself, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what it stands for, right? False evidence appearing real, essentially. It's all it's all in the head, essentially. It's mm. an emotion, right? It, which is... 
unfortunately stopping a lot of people from being able to move forward. But yeah, John, I think I really like it in terms of holding that long-term view, you know, figure out what you really want to own. Um, yep. And work backwards, essentially. So. That's, that's well said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Next point. Um, controversial one. Build a balanced portfolio. Okay. Well, this is, uh, this is a very relevant for our investor podcast, I guess. Um, I mean, Ray himself being a, uh, obviously, the, you know, uh, the manager of the biggest uh, hedge fund company, it makes sense in terms of what he was talking about here. He talks about the strategic asset, asset allocation or, you know, balancing your portfolio. So that way you are safeguarding your own assets uh, to, a, to a degree, right? Because he believes that the asset classes on average will always outperform cash. Sure. Okay. Yep, definitely. Um, and he also talks about, um, you know, when you need to know when you need to make a bet and when not to make a bet. So this is all, this is all re really relevant when it comes to a hedge fund manager's um, talks uh, to a degree. But in my understanding is, uh, you know, um, to, a, to a level, play it safe, um, diversify your money against different type of asset classes uh, in, in that. Um, and that way, and, and let time do its thing in terms of the longer term growth, because ultimately some assets will grow more, some assets will grow less, uh, but over time, you know, they will give you an even return, um, essentially, is, is essentially what, uh, what Ray's, or my interpretation or what Ray is talking about here in building a balanced portfolio. Now, I think all three of us may have a bit of disagreement with that kind of idea. <laughs> I mean, we all have different concepts in around um, uh, what should we hold and what, what should we buy, and that, that reflects in our personal portfolio to a level. For me, myself, I mean, I, 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 I agree to it to a certain extent, but at the same time, I, again, I would agree to disagree as well. Personally, I think for me, if, if someone wants to be truly rich, they can't diversify. They need to be an expert in some area and basically have a laser beam focus in terms of pretty much putting 90, 95% of your money there because that's what's really going to make rich. And that's, what, uh, that, that's my personal philosophy, right? By having a diversified portfolio, it's going to give you maybe a balance of 5% growth annually, potentially. But if you have it laser beam focused and, and you know what you're doing, so the key here is you're an expert and you know what you're doing and you've got the guts to be able to basically take the risk and put it all out there. Um, classic example, maybe Bitcoin. Um, if you managed to buy it five years ago, putting a lot of cash and uh, sell out around 12 months ago, around that period, you would have, you could have 20, 30 times your money easily, easily, right? But does people know that or has, are there actually many people that's got the guts to do that? Or have enough knowledge to know about it to, to actually execute that? No. So that's why Ray for, you know, Ray's suggestion for, for average ordinary Joe out there, uh, not to say probably not, not people listening to this podcast, <laughs> um, but, you know, most of the average people who are unfortunately too busy to worry about their own finances is you need to look at diversifying and building a balanced portfolio to safeguard your money in the long run. All right, I should shut up. <laughs> Uh, we'd like to go first, Jazz. Build uh, a balanced portfolio. Yeah, this is an interesting one. I mean, I think when you look, if I was to talk from his point of view, running a hedge fund, you have to have a balanced portfolio because you're handling people's money, right? But the way I'll put that is, um, if you want to 
get rich, then probably playing concentrated bets is the way to go, which means you can lose all your money as well at the same time. So the risk profile goes much higher, right? But if if you want to uh, stay rich, then you diversify, right? So uh, that's where the balanced portfolio comes into play. It comes down to what stage of life you're in and what's your risk profile, all of that stuff, right? So uh, balanced portfolio makes perfect sense. I mean, we people are not really balanced people over here, all three of us. If if I was to say it, uh, I think all of us uh, at some point have been heavy on properties, probably still are. Uh, and that it's done well, obviously, leverage bet, right? Uh, but uh, for for I think for person who's not in financials, the a person who's not individual who's not financial savvy, financially savvy or is not tuned into the world of finance, balanced portfolio probably makes sense because it's less less stress. But then also means that it, the returns will be very balanced because it's balanced portfolio, right? Uh, if you want extreme returns, they come with obviously high risk, which means concentration. Yeah, I, I was going to say something similar, and I, I like the way you said that. Like the wealth uh, journey is is in two parts. There's making the wealth where you need to specialize, and then there's once you've made the wealth and you park it and preserve it. And the way to preserve it is through a well diversified portfolio. So we talk about diversification and balanced portfolios, but they actually don't. They're, they're not. Uh, from a time perspective, you don't need balance all the time. I think you only need that when you're um, when you're preserving the wealth, because then you're just you're wanting to sort of make you know a return slightly over inflation. Um, so Ray Dalio, when he talked about balanced portfolio, though, what he's really saying is that the most people don't understand risk. Uh, he's he thinks most portfolios are too risky, and what he's essentially saying is, is there's too many equities in most people's in most fund managers' portfolios. It's too equities heavy, um, and he thinks that you need to just split um, your asset portfolio mix into risky versus non-risky. And then, then you figure out your allocation. Whereas I think, I think he would say that most allocations are too risky, and then they they do like five or ten percent in cash. And he's like, no, like it, it can't be cash and bonds are basically the same, and then equities and and real estate funds are are, are risky as well. So, um, so that that's his perspective. I mean, he he, I think, and he's obviously very successful. And one of the one of the things about the Bridgewater Fund is that it does very well in bad times. He's one of the few portfolios that grows when the market's tanking. So he did, I think he did well in like 2001. I think he did really well in 2008. And I, I think it, in boom times, actually the, that uh, fund doesn't do as well. But then over long periods of time, it, it, it performs quite well. And, and he would argue that's because it's a properly diversified portfolio rather than a pretend diversified portfolio. So, uh, so um so the so think think in terms of risk versus uh, anti-risk. One thing, uh, one final thing I'd say is is to bring in something that Robert Kiyosaki talks about. Robert Kiyosaki also makes the claim that most people don't diver- don't understand what diversification really means, and he would say that diversification really should be between tangible and intangible assets. So if you've got stocks, bonds, 
um, and those sorts of things, you're really not diversified because you've just got paper assets. So he would say that you need to diversify between tangible assets like real estate, other tangible assets like um, uh, commodities, and then paper assets like stocks and bonds. So that's another way to look at it. So there's the Ray Dalio way, which is risk versus non-risk. And then there's the um, Robert, Robert Kiyosaki diversification, which is tangible and intangible. His, his balanced portfolio is more like an all-weather portfolio. Yeah, all-weather, that's it, right. It will, it will weather all storms, right? So, mm. um, And for majority of the population, I think that, that's the kind of strategy that you want to be because uh, everyone is not uh, uh, crazy like, like us talking about finance all day. Uh, but to make true wealth, generally concentration is the way to go which means high risk. You have to be right. You have to be right then. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, market's going to teach you that lesson, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, but one, one more thing I also want to touch on is um, um, don't, uh, don't diversify for the sake of diversification. I think a lot of times, especially I'm assuming that a lot of the listeners of our podcast is actually early in their investment journey. You know, in other words, they are in the acquisition of wealth stages. Um, and to, 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 to give us an example, right? Like I've got clients who have bought two or three properties in Queensland market. They go, should I look at diversifying? Should I look at buying another state just, just to diversify and spread my risk? Well, if you know what you're doing in the Queensland market and you know that you're going to make more money out of it uh, than inflation, then, you know, jump for it, go for it, right? Don't, don't just diversify for the, for the sake of diversifying um, in that sense. That, that, that's a good, really good point. Like one of the points of creating wealth is that you find something that works and then you duplicate it and you should get so good at it because you're repeating the same process over and over again that the costs and is so frictionless that you can, you, you know what to buy, you recognize it when you see it and you can just keep duplicating the successful process. Whereas if you diversify, you've got to learn six or seven different asset classes. And there's a friction in that. There's a cost in that. And there's a kind of inefficiency in that as well. Yeah. All right. Good one. Um, which then gets us to the last point. Um, know that you don't know a lot. So I think this is, uh, again, corresponds to uh, a lot of our uh, previous studies where the more that you <laughs> the, the more that you think you know, actually, the more that you think you, th- you actually don't know. Um, I can't express it very well unfortunately Uh, i'm sure john will be able to or jazz will be able to later on but essentially what we're trying to do here is there's only so much knowledge that you can gain because our time are all limited right like you know you we all focus and we all specialize in certain areas but that also means you know we only need to we only need to be good at what we do okay but when and it's impossible for us to be good at everything um you know i don't know much about commodities i don't know about much economics but i know i've got john and just got me covered on this portfolio. So I would go and speak to them about that kind of thing. So the key thing here is you do not need to be an all, all to, like everything, know it all expert, but know who you can reach out to and who you can talk to, ask the right questions and basically learn from that. Learn from that. Okay, learn from that. That's the, just, um, that's the way I look at it. Just. To, to, to simplify, I think it goes directly to one of the famous words by Warren Buffett, Mm. circle of competence. You need to know what your circle of competence is, right? Once you have defined your circle of competence, 
uh, then you know that not every ball that comes on the bat, you need to strike that. But you know the one that you need to strike because you know your circle of competence and you know that you'll, your run rate will come out to be pretty good. So it's really just that simple. It's, it's, and that's, but it's, it's that simple, but it's not that simple because that's the hardest thing to find, your circle, circle of competence, right? So uh, what you're good at and what you're not good at. It's, it's, uh, uh, that's a self-assessment that you have to do. Yeah, it's an exercise in humility as well. I think that that's important. Um, but I, I have nothing really to add to that. I mean, yeah, I, I think no, no, you don't know. Actually, there is one thing, actually. There was, an, there, there was I've heard uh, Ray Dahlia talk a little bit about, he was asked what his, um, what his weaknesses are. And he said something like, you know, I, I'm a bit late. Uh, I turn up a bit late. I, I, I don't, he goes, I've got a terrible memory. I've got a terrible memory. So I need really organized people around me. And I, th- I think just just being that self-aware to know, like I don't, I, I know a lot about a couple of things, but, um, you know, I really need competent people around me. And he goes, you know, I don't remember everything. He goes, I've got a terrible, terrible memory. It really stuck with me. So he knows, he knows that about himself. And so he, he arranges his life to compensate for his weakness. So that's what we all need to do. Now, our weakness might not be um, a bad memory. Some people have got an excellent memory, but what you need to do is find out what your weaknesses are and then compensate for those with having the right people around you. So I, I like that. I like that a lot. Comes back a lot about self-awareness as well, right? I think mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of the concepts here talk about self-awareness. Know what you're good at, know what you're not so good at, know what you need to learn and know what you need to improve on. So. All right. Radical, so, radical, radical truth. Radical to your, truth. Radical to your own <laughs> self. <laughs> radical truth and transparency about yourself. 100%. All right. Anything else to add? I think that's uh, that's pretty much the six key points from today. Yeah, I really, I really, I mean, I, I love these uh, these chats, these successful people, and they all have a little bit of something in common. They all talk about mistakes. They all talk about learning. Yep. Uh, they talk about uh, honesty and transparency. So let's keep doing these. Fantastic. They all, they all have a level of craziness in them. <laughs> <laughs> level of craziness, but at the same time, a level of genius in terms of the in terms of what they're doing as well. So, it's that it's that it's a fine line, isn't it? it is <laughs> where, where do you where, where do you cross that? <laughs> but you know what? I think one of the things they all have in common is that none of these really successful people lie to themselves. They're not lying to themselves. They say. I'm good at this one thing, so I'm just going to keep doing this one thing, and everything else. I'm a bit of a douche. I'm a bit incompetent. Um, I'm a bit disorganized. But there's one thing I'm really, really good at it. And and I think that, that you know we, we maybe we'll talk in the future about what the themes are that they all have. But I really think that, that that's one of them. These this these are highly self aware people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that will be a prerequisite in terms of um, being successful as well. Even though it wasn't raised and mentioned as one of the points, but definitely definitely something that we see in common here. Mm. Good. All right. Awesome. Um, for our listeners, thank you for joining us. We hope that you enjoy another episode with us tonight, uh, today. And um, yeah, look, uh, you know, next week we will we will bring back on next week is property week, right? Is it property week? Okay. So next week we'll have uh, we'll, t- we'll be talking about Australian properties, um, giving giving the latest uh, data, property data, and, and and touches more on that. Um, and as always, uh, for anyone who's uh, 
um, who'd like to give us a bit of feedback, um, you know, you can leave this on um, iTunes or uh, podcast or Popbean, whichever way, or just send us an email. Uh, we have the email address in there as well. Uh, let us know what you think, uh, what you'd like us to see, uh, what you'd like us to talk more. We're always open for opinions and suggestions. Okay. All right. Well, so in that case, until next week, um, stay safe, play safe. And again, uh, we'll see you again next week. Jazz, John and David.